0: Find all your favorite movies and shows faster with Xfinity. Just speak into the X1 voice remote to search across live TV, on demand, even Netflix and Prime Video. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply.
1: Hello and welcome back to Fair Game, the podcast sharing the stories of Irish sportswomen.
2: I'm Emily Glenn. And I'm Elaine Buckley. If you're joining us for the first time and the good news is that you've got 15 other episodes to catch up on, check out our archive available at game or by searching Fair Game on iTunes and other podcasting apps. You can also subscribe to us while you're there to get direct downloads of new episodes.
1: And also follow us on Twitter at Fair That's where we keep you up to speed with happenings in women's sport, both Irish and international, on a daily basis. Any shares or likes or links to Fair Game are hugely appreciated too. It's a big help in spreading the word about the podcast. And if there's any topics that you think we should cover, do let us know. We're always open to new
2: ideas. So on this episode of the podcast, we're tackling an issue that affects pretty much every woman in the country at some stage. Injury. What can happen in an instant on a track or field can have long-term implications for an athlete's competitive career. And the psychological aspect of it can be just as tough as the physical fight back. Joining us to tackle this topic are two elite athletes who have very different experiences of injury but no doubt shared frustrations. Later on in the episode we'll be catching up with international hockey squad captain Megan Fraser. Megan dominated the American college scene on scholarship with the the University of Maryland and led Ulster Elks to -to back-to-back Irish Senior Cups here at home before relocating to Germany last year after being snapped up to compete in the professional Bundesliga with her club Mannheimer. Back in October she was stopped in her tracks with serious knee ligament injury, the dreaded cruciate ligament and following surgery she has been working her way through an intensive rehab programme with a view to making it back in time for Ireland's World Cup qualifying tournament this July.
1: But first our guest in the fair game studio Hot Seat became an Olympian in London 2012. She's a World University Games and European Championships finalist and a national record holder but the 400 meter hurdler has been through severely testing times in recent years with a constant stream of injuries hindering her process and ultimately denying her ticket to Rio. However, a decision retire to retire for good late last year has been overturned and now Jessie Barr is aiming to be back racing come this summer. <laughs> Jessie Barr, you're very welcome to Fair Game.
2: Thank you for having me. So, Jesse, tell us about your sporting background. At what age and how did you figure out that you were really good at jumping over stuff? Uh, Well, (laughs) uh, I
0: figured out I could jump over stuff at a very young age. But when I was good at it, it took me a lot longer. Um, I suppose I started off uh, at gymnastics when I was four. Um, I was one of those kids that was just could never stand still. I was always jumping around like I was actually like a jumping bean. I was just full of energy. Um, so mum and dad had me in everything. I did gymnastics for about ten years and I was one of those kids who spent more time my hands than my feet, like when I was doing like my spellings when I was younger, I had to be in a handstand to give the spellings to my mum, which same probably drew...
1: Same, same.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is when I was <laughs> tiny. Um, but yeah, I was just always just really full of energy. Um, I was doing swimming lessons on a Sunday. In the summers I was doing tennis. Um, when I went to secondary school, I took up hockey and basketball quickly realised team sports were really not my thing Um, and I also did athletics when I started in secondary school so I took that up when I was about 11 or 12. Um, I was in that for about five or six years before I discovered the 400 metre hurdles so I was doing every other event by the hurdles. I was doing like sprint hurdles like shorter hurdles, um, high jump, long jump, some throwing like I literally I was just trying everything and then I eventually tried the 400 hurdles in I think the end of fifth year of school. Um, the hurdles is nicknamed the man killer so I think that was probably what put me off it's a really really tough event and for me athletics was about having fun and enjoyment and training for something that looks that hard didn't appeal to me but I gave it a go eventually because I would pretty much exhausted every other avenue and discovered that this was obviously the one I was meant to do.
2: And when you say you 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 kind of quickly realised that team sports weren't for you, what was, <laughs> what was the, what was, how did you realise that? What was the draw to the kind of the solo events?
0: Um, I think just because I'd probably grown up in gymnastics and I had control over what I did. Um, and it's not that I was a selfish athlete. I actually really enjoyed playing basketball. It was just, I was not very good at it. I I wasn't, just, it just never really got ball sports and I never really got team sports just as well and I don't know what it was about them I don't know it's not because I was the selfish person who didn't want to give the ball it was more like give me the ball please I'll pass it to you I promise but just didn't have a talent in them I don't know was it the extra coordination that's needed to navigate having other people but um, you know I was a constant B or C team athlete you know a good solid numbers maker (laughs) but uh, I wasn't ever going to be you know, hockey star or anything, unfortunately. But
1: when you did discover the hurdle, so you then had a really fast trajectory between discovering the sport and then becoming incredibly well, you know, versed at it. And you were, you know, top five finisher in the under-23s European Championship. And then there was the World University Games 12 months later. And then the European Championships in Helsinki. And, I mean, potential seems to be synonymous with your name, and it's a very heavy word to carry around like how how did you
0: deal with that at that stage? Um I was just enjoying it like like you said that trajectory was so quick that once I took up the hurdles within a year I was running and I got my very first season of being a 400 hurdler I picked up a silver medal at the national championships in the senior level now it wasn't the most competitive of races the girl who beat me was actually a a training partner and actually a little bit younger than me but um it was just that kind of like I was like oh my god I've picked up a medal I never won a senior medal in anything um, and a year after that I went to the European Junior Championships and was within touching distance of the Junior the Irish Junior Record and like it just kept happening and because I'd finally found an event that I was really good at like I'd always enjoyed going to training but now I was, I was doing one that I was actually really good and I was beating people in training which never happened so I think for me I had The enjoyment from training and that kind of taste of winning as well so I was just loving it and I was loving improving and I never really thought that there was pressure on me because I was only young I was 16 or 17 for me athletics was just something that I did and then I just something that I did that happened to get quite good at um obviously I got a bit older and that changed but at that age at that early age and like kind of early secondary school into college it was
2: it was still about something that I just really enjoyed so elite, elite level competition never kind of intimidated you. It was kind of the opposite you'd kind of gravitate towards it because kind of like it's, especially leaving school it's it's sometimes the time when when potentially you know successful athletes just drop off, but you you weren't intimidated by the by the elite competition level
0: no I mean my first so like I said, my first kind of senior or my first vest was the ju- junior championships, and that was the summer before I went to college now. I will admit that when I went to college, a lot of other things grabbed me that weren't training. So training be kind of took a back seat. Whereas in sixth year, all I did was train and study. So I really enjoyed training it was like my outlet and probably why I ended up doing so well. But when I went to college, I was living away from home, I was living away from mum and dad. And I suddenly had all this freedom that I didn't really have before. And so training still stayed part of the routine. I still stayed really involved. But It wasn't my sole focus anymore. I was now meeting new people. I was able to go out midweek, which is not great if you're trying to train the next day. (laughs) And, you know, in a new course, trying to, you know, look after myself, living away from home. Um, So my next uh, championship didn't, I I went to a championship that first year, um, the World Juniors, and I just completely crashed out in the heat, didn't run well at all. And that was just showed because I just didn't put the time into it. And my next championship was the under twenty threes in my final year, my fourth year of college. So I didn't really it during my college years. I had a lot of I trained really hard, but I didn't I didn't give it the same kind of attention as I probably have now or should have. Um, I don't regret that. I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad I got the college experience. I was still young, graduating, I was twenty one. but. I do do see that there was probably more potential there that I didn't really
2: get to realise and skipping kind of on a couple of years from 21 to uh, to kind of (coughs) 2012 tell us Mm -hmm. your experience of becoming an Olympian the the, the path to qualification and competing in London 2012
0: yeah it was it was a crazy year because I had went from so like I said my final year of college was in 2011 so I had a kind of like i did in sixth year i kind of had a, a rebirth in the hurdles so i kind of found that form again because again i went back into i made it as kind of made a conscious effort a decision i said okay i've kind of wasted the last three years in college i do actually want to be an athlete and i kind of came to like a fork in the road like do i want to keep going don't i and i did because i'd given so much time to it um so i had a really really good summer i went to the European under 23s and broke the Irish, Irish under 23 record. So there was still talent there. And I improved a lot on my times that i had been running the year before. I took like two and a half seconds off my time. Um, so for the very first time in like my whole athletics career, I was considering Olympics as a real, you know, a real realistic possibility for me, which before I was like, maybe the Olympics would be nice to go to, but it wasn't my ultimate dream. It didn't seem like something I'd ever really get to because I was always the kind of OK athlete, doing pretty well, picking up national medals. Um, so within a year of the Games being held in London, I was now suddenly a realistic hopeful. I was I had just gotten the B standard um, that summer in 2011. So all my plans then became directed at the Olympics. And that whole year was just a bit insane. Like when I think about it, and you probably remember it as well, that like everything was about London that year mm-hmm. I mean you couldn't watch a TV ad without it being you know this is the water that hydrates our Olympians mm-hmm. and this is the detergent that our parents will wa- the parents of Olympians <laughs> will wash their clothes in like everything
1: my favourite one was that this is the <laughs> snacks that our Olympians will eat and it was like no yeah,
0: uh, you know no yeah I, how do you know <laughs> but uh <laughs> No, it was just, yeah. And I kind of felt like I was really excited because I was like, I made such big improvements in 2011 if I I just needed to take another second off my time and I was going to be qualified. So I was like, well, I've taken two and a half seconds off. What can I do next year when I really focus? Cause it, because I graduated, I decided to take the year out um, and just focus on training and just do like some part time work just to kind of keep me ticking over. Um, so the year, it was the very first time that I'd really dedicated everything to athletics. Um, and it was a really exciting year, but it was quite daunting because suddenly there was pressure that had never been there for me. I'd never really had a lot of attention from media. And I remember I was like, there was a two page spread on one of the like national papers on myself and Thomas at so being a potential brother and sister duo going to the Olympics because um, he wasn't far off the B standard at that stage either. So, um Yeah, it was just all this attention that I'd never really had before, Um, but I loved it. Like, I really enjoyed it because I was like, this would be so cool if I get to go, because I was kind of seeing London as the stepping stone into the next Olympics or two. And I was like, this would be such a great experience It'd be home games. I'm so young and there was not really ever going to be any pressure on me. Um, So when I didn't end up qualifying in the hurdles, I was absolutely devastated. Even though like there was a lot of people in my position and I did get to go on the relay, like I always saw the relay as like a back door,
2: okay.
0: you know, it was like a kind of a the, the silver, it was a silver lining, but I kind of felt like I snuck in the back door to get to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I deserved the spot as much as other people. Um, which is a it's a terrible thing to say that's because it. I yeah. still yeah. am an Olympian, but that's it's just it's that's my kind of when I look back I'm like yeah I got there but I was only on the relay links back to the team sports in school I think. Yeah, yeah
1: could be <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're you're you're. Kind of period from from London and and beyond. You've had like a myriad of fract of, of injuries. You've had some stress fractures, um, Achilles tendon issues. You've had calf problems. Um, you've really been through the mill. Talk us through those.
0: Yeah. So I think. Um I was very lucky up until London I wasn't someone who picked up a lot of injuries I tore in both my hamstrings at different times but that's quite common I hadn't started strength training and I was doing a lot of sprinting so that was probably something that was waiting to happen I haven't ever since that was years ago um, and then I got some knee issues the year of London but other than that I was always very very lucky not to get injuries Um and after I went to London, uh, obviously doors open in terms of training groups. And I'd always said I was going to go away and do a master's. Having been in UL for five years, I was like, well, this is probably the right time. It's the start of a new Olympic cycle. Um, and I got an offer to come and train in a elite hurdles group in Bath in the UK and do a master's in Bristol at the same time. And it was just this package deal that was too good to be true. So I obviously jumped, with, jumped at it, um, did a bit of research, probably not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, So I went over there to train with them and I really do look back and think that could have been the start of what was, uh, you know, a lot of different injuries. Just their training was very, very different. Um, Like when we were in, when I was in Limerick, it was very much high intensity, low volume. Whereas when I went over there, they were doing up until Christmas, September to Christmas was like really low intensity, high volume training or yeah, low intensity, high volume. And They'd be out running on the roads. They'd be doing 40, 45 minute runs, which I just never did. We just did a 20 minute run once or twice a week. And that was my long run. Like any long distance runners will scoff when they hear that was a long run. But, you know, we'd be going out for up to an hour going running continuously, which I wasn't used to. And I discovered later that the way I run really doesn't suit it. So I ended up giving myself a stress fracture in my foot. Um, because of the way I, I tend to run on my toes. And obviously when you're pounding on a pavement for up to an hour and you, it, it all went up through my, it was mm-hmm. my chest, my bone and my toe ended up kind of giving way. And I feel like then that kind of then highlighted other
2: weaknesses because
0: everything's been much, very much lower chain. So and was, there's probably a lot of links.
2: Was there a, sub- like kind of, in terms of support team over there for student athletes, were, was there people monitoring that kind of stuff or were you just kind of, just kind of like, sail on and see and see what happens there was if i was a british athlete
0: but because i was an irish athlete i may as well have been from mars okay like it was i was completely bottom of the list so i was in a group that was maybe up to 10 athletes there was probably at the max when everyone was there but that was rare usually about eight of us there Um, really really good athletes like one of two of them were fourth in london other two were semi-finalists finalists whatever um, everyone in the group was an Olympian. It's probably why I realise now that I look at being on a only only on a relay um, as being only on a relay because all of these people were like, "Oh yeah, you're at the Olympics." On oh, no. these people were gunning for medals and in finals. So I always felt like oh, I shouldn't really be boasting about only only being on a relay, and that's probably where that came from. But uh, no, being being Irish over there, you weren't really. It was kind of like. They kind of snuck me into the group because there was only one other girl in the group at the time who was at an elite level Um, and they kind of said, well, we'll have her over as a training partner because the British athletics didn't really like to have um, other people from outside of British athletics to train with them as kind of seen as using their resources. But I didn't get to use their physios. I didn't Why? get to use well I did it was like a, on the sly okay don't tell anyone and we'll. I'll see you after the session's over kind of thing but only like my leg could have been falling off and I'd still have to wait for everyone else to have been seen um, so yeah I kind of I had access to like the university physios but it was very expensive. I wasn't seeing the same person every time. Whereas over here, being in the Institute, when I like I was covered by the Institute, if I went in, I was seeing that physio who I'd been working with and knew my whole history. But every time I went in, it was a new person. Oh, tell me about your history. And then there was something else, you know, and all physios would pick up something different. So I didn't really feel I had the support over there. And then... When an injury did happen when you're surrounded by just athletes like all my friends were athletes either from my group or from different sports uh, modern, a lot of lot modern athletes were my friends over there so when you're injured and suddenly you're hanging around with people who are all training and doing that one thing you can't do it's quite isolating mm-hmm. um so i ended up coming home for three months just to have to be back in a support system and doing that was what made me realize Maybe it's not right over here, so I kind of saw it out to the end of the season and then moved back home. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't right for me.
1: Working through injury it can be uh, injury and in rehab. It can be a really lonely experience, um, and the psychological and the kind of mental impact of that is sometimes underplayed, and we don't really talk about it a huge amount because um, it can be it can be either it can be even harder than the physical one. So, how has your approach been to coping with that?
0: Yeah, I suppose as. The more injuries I've had, the better I am at coping with them. I think you learn from experience. Like I'd say the first time I tore my hamstring, it may as well have been the end of the world. And it was a six week injury that you're and it's a pretty standard injury. You're told, okay, if you rehab, do this, this and this, you'll be back on the track in six weeks. And that was fine. But I thought it was just the end of the world or I've had little niggles here and there. But now that I've had kind of a successive string of injury, it's like part of the process. Okay. hurt something I don't even think about it now like I, I hurt my calf at the start of the month I literally just went and grabbed ice went home next morning I was in the pool I was on the bike and it was just yeah grand and that shouldn't be the way because injury is part of sport but it shouldn't be so much part of it that it becomes normal part of the routine but that's the way it has um, but I don't dwell. I try not to dwell. I have my days where I do, and I let myself have my days. If I'm in a, in a bad mood with my injury, I let myself have that because sometimes when you're fighting against feeling bad, it can nearly make you feel worse. So if I'm in a bad mood, I'll let myself play it out, but I'll make myself still go to the gym, do my rehab, and think of the bigger picture. And um, just trying to keep myself doing other stuff because I think I'm lucky that I am doing, you know, I'm obviously studying, I'm working that you're involved in other things but when you're solely an athlete like I was the year of London having an injury then you're like what else have I got going on at the moment so I've always found it really important to make sure I have other stuff that I'm not just able to dwell on it.
2: Yeah, and you've you've completed your Master in Sports Performance and are currently doing a PhD down in UL in sports psychology. Mm. So did that, did your kind of experience of of being injured dictate your chosen field of study? Like the two are kind of married quite well (laughs) to each other. And has that proved beneficial or even cathartic, I suppose?
0: Yeah, I I don't think the injuries, they didn't determine what I was going to do. I always loved psychology. I did that as my undergrad um, and I knew being an athlete sports psychology was going to be the way I was going to go Um, it just made sense I wanted to work with athletes eventually people like me Um, the injury stuff kind of came because of my experiences in Bath but not as necessarily my own Um, while I was there one of my close friends and training partners was actually diagnosed with depression now he was one of these people who you know was at the top of his game had been to the uh, Olympics at a home games blah, blah 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 you know and Someone who you think, how could he, you know, how could he be suffering? I mean, he's got everything going for him. And I naively was one of those people that was kind of really surprised when it happened because I saw him every day. But I only saw him every day for two hours. So I didn't see him for the rest of the day. Um, So that kind of sparked my interest in the mental health side. And then obviously with the mental health stuff, injury kind of married into that because injury and mental health issues and athletes kind of go hand in hand. Um, So that's where the interest came from. Obviously, I'm kind of immersed in it because I I have a lot of personal experience, but it does add a lot to it because I'm able to kind of give my own personal um, experience and my own kind of my own kind of knowledge and background to it. And maybe not in my research, research is research. But if I ever go and do talks, which I often do, I've had to do talks for like different um, modules and say in Trinity at the Royal College of Surgeons. And I think they were always really interested in hearing what I had to say as a researcher and backing that up with personal experience. So I'm kind of using what was a negative for me as injuries as a positive in kind of the future in my career path. Um, Okay, it's not ideal. I don't want to be injured while I'm studying about injury and how detrimental it can be to your well-being. But Mm -hmm it is it it kind of all works pretty well together at the moment
1: there's you've just mentioned that you know during your first olympic cycle there was a huge amount of kind of public pressure and an awful lot of, well, an awful lot of publicity that may be translated into, into pressure. And we've heard other athletes talk about how, you know, they become household names in an Olympic year and then for the rest of the time they're they're kind of forgotten. And you mentioned in the in the piece you did recently in the 42, which is an amazing piece, by the way, oh, thank um, you. that, you know, you're kind of, when you decided to... Not hang up your spikes after all because you did make a decision to kind of retire and then reverse that decision. That you you felt that the kind of removal of pressure was was something that contributed to that. Do you think that like how did you kind of handle that? How did how did that come about? What kind of made you get to the point where you thought you were going to retire and then why did you reverse that decision?
0: Yeah, big question. But yeah, I I kind of just lost the enjoyment and like I said, I got into sport because I loved it. And that was first and foremost. And having had three seasons taken away from me from injury um, and I love competition, I love competing. That's that's why I do all the training. I don't train because I love the feeling of lactic and love that horrible feeling you get at the end of a session. I don't do it because I love that. I do it because there's an end goal that I love that feeling of standing on the start line and being really, really fit and knowing I could do something really special here or I might not, but at least I've given everything, Mm -hmm. whereas turning up in kind of half shape, like having done maybe a month or two because injury has like, you know, put a halt on your season and then turning up. And I like I did in 2014, I did it. And even at the start of 2016, I raced and I wasn't fully fit. And it's a horrible feeling um, and I just didn't want to be there. So then when I found that having watched like three seasons in a row from kind of a spectator's point of view and just feeling really horrible because I was that thing that I loved was taking away the competition and I was doing all the hard work and I wasn't getting any of the recognition because you know and I was so delighted for Thomas and I'd never take anything away from him but he would get so many people saying to me god he's just worked so hard he really deserves it and I'm like "Injured? that we work just as hard we just don't get any of the recognition like i I'm sometimes I was like I worked even harder because you're doing rehab and you're trying to keep fitness doing stuff that's sometimes harder like it's harder to keep fitness on a cross trainer than it is when you go for a run so sometimes you feel like I'm working harder and I don't get any recognition I remember talking to one of the girls who had an injury over the summer as well and we are like
2: no one realise how do people just not realise how hard injured athletes work as well we had um, we had Kira McGeehan on the podcast last year uh, before Europeans and we talked to her a lot about her injury because that was that was potentially career ending injury that she had and she 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 could pinpoint a moment where she she used to still go to training sessions in UCD and kind of watch and soak it in and she'd hear people saying there's the girl who used to be the runner and that that sentence used to be is what is what Motivated her to get back because she was still a runner. She was just sidelined with, with an injury that was part and parcel of her training.
0: Yeah, and it happened so often, and I think it's natural. We don't even think about it. I'm sure I've done it to other people. I've been thinking, being like, "Oh, that used to be," or "She used to," or "He used to do this." But yeah, it, it happened a lot over 2015, 2016, especially when Thomas was running very, very well, and I was obviously not racing because there was no sign of me anywhere. And people would see me at home if I went home to Watford, and they go. Jesus isn't your brother doing great and he's this that and the other and I am like yeah yeah yeah." and they go are you are you still running yourself and I go yes if only you knew I'm I was watching his race from a rehab rehabbing on a bike or whatever and so yeah I think just after three seasons of a row of not being able to compete and do that thing that I really wanted to do I got to the stage where I was like well if I can't do the thing that I love which is racing and I felt that athletics was just making me upset that I was crying over watching racing. And I remember in 2015, I was in brilliant shape before I got injured. Best shape I'd ever been in. And I watched the World University Games. And the time that won it, I was like, I was in shape to run that at least, if not faster. So I was like, I felt like that was a medal that was taken away from me. And I remember I spent the whole day crying. I rang my mum in hysterics. She was like, Where are you? And I was like, I'm in a car park. I didn't want to cry at home because I lived with all boys and I didn't want to cry in front of them. And she was all worried. And I said, Look, I'll be fine. I just need to get this out of my system. And it was only maybe in September when I came back, last September, when I came back from kind of a very long extended break over the summer. And I just wasn't enjoying it. I was turning up to training and I was like, I wasn't in a good mood and I was. Probably like a, ba- a black cloud for the rest of them because when I'm not in a good mood, it's probably quite contagious. And I didn't want to put that in other people. If I'm not enjoying it, I don't want other people to not enjoy training because they're kind of on edge around me. So I got to the stage where I was like, okay, maybe I'll just go and do stuff on my own. And then I was like, well, I don't really want to do this either. So I was like, maybe I've just, maybe it's time. And I, I thought, just out of the blue, one day I was sitting with my boyfriend at the kitchen table and I just was like, maybe I should just quit. And it was the first time I'd ever thought of it. And it was like, God maybe I should and I I kind of tested the waters and I did it for about six weeks maybe even two months where I didn't I kind of phased out train to the point that I didn't do anything and I actually quite enjoyed it because I was like I'm just being normal if someone asked me do I want to go out or do I want to go down to Cork to the girls the weekend I could and I quite enjoyed that and I was very very busy as well so it, it suited but eventually once everything subsided and I kind of had that few weeks I realised I do want to get back to it but I think I needed that because if I had never given myself that break, I probably would still be resenting a little bit because I will be like, oh, I'm still doing this and oh, it's so boring. But now I went away from it and now I'm kind of I went back to it with a new motivation. Mm-hmm. And yeah.
1: you are officially back in training now yeah. pending calf injury rehab. Yes. Um, <laughs> how is that? How's that going and how are you feeling about it?
0: Yeah, it's going well. Um, I think my biggest fault, So my boyfriend is my unofficial official physio he is a physio handy. yes very he's handy so handy Save it, is, your fortune. It, it couldn't have been <laughs> handier he he's a physio and he will be graduated from medicine as of April so he's a very handy person to have around but he has been just working his arse off to try and help me get back and as most athletes would probably recognize we're quite impatient so if I think oh I'm okay it feels good and I might go back that little bit too early and then niggle it again so he's like no you are not going back to the, that track and you're not running a step until you have done every single step and you are 100% okay because I always would kind of oh, I'm pretty much there but if a physio says six to eight weeks most athletes like, be like I'll be back in six weeks then Th- no
2: it's I'll six back to back eight four. there's yeah. a reason that we say six to eight <laughs> yeah I'll be back in the very first day of that sixth week but um Does he be just hide hiding your spikes in high places around the house you can't reach? So you yeah. like can
0: jump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just at this
0: stage I'm I'm kind of like I had put a lot of pressure on myself ahead of this summer because I was like, oh London, I would love to be there, home games. But I was kinda of like, do I want to put that pressure on myself again this year? I mean it's the end of February and I still haven't run a step since before since kind of early, early January. Um, And I probably won't for another at least a week, if not two weeks. And I said, do I want to keep putting the pressure and say, okay, first of June, I need to be back racing because this is this is the cutoff date for this championships and this is the cutoff date. And when I kind of decided, no, I'm not going to actually started speaking to a sports psychotherapist. He got in touch with me on the back of the 42 article and it was like. It was my mom and my friends have always has been on at me to talk to someone just because of all of this crap that's going on in my mm-hmm. head. And this guy contacted me, and I was like, "This was meant to be." And the very first session, we said, um, "Maybe you should just stop thinking about times." And he was like, "What would you really like uh, this summer?" And I was like, "To be honest, I really like to just be back racing and just get back to back races." And he's like, "Grant." Forget about all those other deadlines you just set for yourself, because I was talking about, oh well I want to be back for World Championships and there's World University Games. And he said, But how can you do those if you're not even back racing yet? So it kind of maybe talking to him or maybe it was the time I took away from the track. But I've kind of I'm trying to change my perspective and not put pressure and just get back to enjoying it first and get back racing, and then if race if championships happen, but was yeah.
2: was the support of a, a a sports psychotherapist like that? Was that some, something that was that you kind of missed out on in college as well? When you would have started, like that, the the Team GB athletes would have had a, had access to, and again, that you just missed out on by by nationality. Yeah,
0: I think there was like obviously we have psychologists in um, the institute, so I would have had the access them in the UK. I probably wouldn't have. Um, I'm sure there was always Skype, but this guy, he's more the psychotherapy side who works. He's a psychotherapist who works with athletes, not right. specifically a sports psychotherapist. But he a lot of his work is around with athletes. So I just felt like I've always felt like I can't go to sports psychologist because I know what they're going to tell me. I'm studying it. And I always had that in my mind. Um, and I think I needed someone who kind of was more holistic. And not just maybe performance focused, which I know they're not. I'm, I do it myself and we're not performance focused, but I wanted someone who was going to sort my whole head out and not just the sports side. So I think he came at a perfect time. He came at the right time. So maybe that 42 article was like a cry for help. I didn't even realize, <laughs> but mm. I think it's just so always good to talk to someone who is not someone who knows you and it just gives you a different perspective. Because like I was saying it to my mom the other day, you know, She's probably told me a million times and other people who know me is like, you don't have to get back racing. But as to hear from someone else, it was kind of like, no, I don't. Because usually people are like, you'll be grand, you'll get back, you'll get back, you'll be fine, you'll be back by July. you'd be you back. Want to hear. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, maybe I won't be. And that's what was always disappointing is that I never was. Mm. And so now it's like, well, now there's no pressure. I've ta- That pressure's completely taken off my shoulders and I'm, you know, If I miss a session, a training session because I was up in Dublin last Friday or I went to a ball on Saturday night, there's not huge pressure because I'm not putting that on myself anymore. And it's kind of refreshing.
1: You work as an athlete ambassador with the Sky Sports Living for Sport Academy. And you've said before that they that you really enjoy going out to schools and you find kind of, you know, talking about and preaching the good word of staying active to um, to the young ones really yeah. motivating. Um, what's that like? What do you do with them? And, and, and has that contributed to you wanting to
0: put the spikes back on? A hundred percent. That was what pretty much got me back. Cause like so, yeah, I love the job. First of all, um, It is what definitely what wanted me to get back to sport because it was just such a contradiction. I was going out into these schools and talking about sport and how much I enjoyed it and showing them pictures of myself when I was growing up and me looking kind of stupid coming last in races and all of us laughing about it. I said, it didn't matter because I just did it because I enjoyed it. And I was like, I'm preaching all this stuff to these kids. And yet I'm standing here hating athletics and not wanting to do it to the point that it's driven me away from it. So that was probably what the turning point was. I was like, get back to it just to enjoy it. Like, I obviously did love it and I need to find that again. So it was brilliant. And like all these, you know, young faces speaking, I, was, I speak a lot to kind of, it's always kind of 17s and unders. And they're still at that stage where sport is just fun and they're doing it with their friends. And I was like, all oh, my training group are my friends and I do really enjoy it. And I love going into the schools because they're just excited by you no matter who you are. I might, I might think I'm a has-been because I went to Olympics four years ago and I've done nothing since, but they're like, you went to the Olympics? Oh my God. Oh my God, you meet Usain Bolt? Oh my God, that's so cool. So I'm like, maybe I am cool, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, and it's just really cool to stand in front of a group of people, a group of kids, and they just think you're the bee's knees and no matter what you do, they think you're great. And... Yeah, preaching the good word of sport and how many good things it can bring to you. And it has. I mean, sport has been very, very good to me. OK, I've had a few years where my body hasn't been so cooperative. But like, I mean, I'm, I've am i met so many people through it. I've been to countries I'll never get to go to if it wasn't for races. Um, and I've got to go to Olympic Games and not many people can say that. So I ha- it has been very positive on a whole. I know the last few years haven't been. But yeah, the Sky Sports stuff is just brilliant. Like you get to go and try and motivate and inspire kids to not even just get involved in sport, but just try and be the best that they can be. And you just stand there as an athlete and say, look, I wasn't the super talented athlete when I was younger, but I worked really hard and knew what I wanted to do. And I think it's a really nice
2: message to give to schools. And I really like doing it. It's so important as well, because the the recent uh, study that Irish Life Health did that showed Boys are coming out of secondary school forty two percent fitter than than girls. Like yeah. that's I that's a shocking figure. Like so to have the likes of like yourself and Natalia Coyle and Coruscant and going around yeah. visiting schools and showing them, you know, what's possible if, if they if they kinda have the drive to kind of go towards pursuing sport, it's it's just so important, like. It's so important and like I see it when I go into
0: schools, you can see the difference between the males and the females and the fitness, especially as you go through the years. Like you could go to a first year class and it's pretty much even but as it gets older it just drops off so by the time you get to sixth year it could be all the boys and the girls are kind of oh, do we have to run oh I didn't want to bring in my runners so I I didn't and, you know it's the enthusiasm levels just drop at a certain age and you can see it it's so clear and I mean I was in an all girls school myself I saw it I was one of the few sporty people left in my year Um, but yeah hopefully things like that will encourage like I think there's a lot of like I know especially when I go into all girls schools they really enjoy having female athletes in there like as a female role model because I think you see you think of sport and you think of boys and boys are successful at sport and if you're just looking in the media like if it wasn't for podcasts like this it, that's the way it seems you open the newspapers and it's like oh well boys do sport girls Go to the gym, you know, (laughs) and that's the way it is. And I think it's really it's a really cool initiative to be able to go to schools and say, well, actually, I've done pretty well at a sport and I wasn't someone who did well out of it when I was younger. But you can make a career out of it in some shape or form.
1: And if there are any young athletes out there listening in um, or even any athletes in general, because, you know, injury is an incredibly like it's it's just an incredibly tough thing. And it's so underspoken about and, you know, you can be kind of struggling with that on your own, trying to navigate those things, what would you say to them? What are your kind of final words of wisdom?
0: I think use the people that are around you. Um, I think social support is just the most crucial thing at that time, because an injury is just a really can be a really, really lonely time for an athlete. I mean, more often than not, you're taken away from if, if it's your team or even for me, I'm an individual athlete, but I train with a training group, so I train as a team. Um but when you're rehabbing more often than not I do one session a week at the moment with my training group which is a circuit session instead of doing maybe up to 10 sessions a week because I I can't I'm, I can't do a lot of the sessions and it's kind of so it's very isolating so if there's team athletes I would say if there's more than one of you injured get together and do your rehab together it makes it so much easier um, and yeah Talk to people if you're having a a bad day. People understand, even if they haven't been injured before. People get what it means to be injured. Even my friends, who none of them are do have, that don't do athletics, they get when I'm injured that it is a really crappy time. Because I'm, I try to explain to them like, imagine you're in your job one day and then you do something out of your control and then you can't do it for the next six months. And it's not just your job; it's actually the thing you really, really love doing as well. And that's taken away. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, that does that does sound pretty bad. So, yeah, talk to people. Don't bottle it up if you are feeling bad, because I'm sure if you talk to someone else in your training group who's been injured, they'll be like, yeah, I had those days. But you get on with it and you have and let yourself have those days. But yeah, I think using the people around you is really, really important. And keep your mind occupied. If you sometimes being injured actually gives you a lot more time on your hands. So even if it means you have to cut, finish college assignments that you've been putting off <laughs> and going to more lectures because you can't have the excuse of training, but yeah, like we sometimes you can say that an injury can be an opportunity like it can sometimes like for me, it gave me a new perspective on sports that like sports not to be an all and end all. It's a great thing, but it can be taken away that there's other stuff in your life as well. So, yeah, use as an opportunity to catch up with your friends that you don't get to see. And I know it's all about your friends and social support, but I think that's probably that will be my lasting mm-hmm. message for definite. And yeah. do your homework. <laughs> stay in school stay kids in get, get, <laughs> those, yeah. get
2: those college assignments yeah, done definitely. Um, well that's a nice positive note to end things on Jesse. thank you so much for joining us and we no, will be you. following your progress on the track and off it all the exciting things you're doing as well so uh, <laughs> thanks again thank you very much Irish Hockey International captain kidnapping their players for training. Uh, we're here with Megan Fraser, captain of the squad. Megan, you're very welcome to our changing room 7, <laughs> our, our mobile studio. Oh, it's, I'm glad to be here.
3: Glad to be here in the changing room 6.
1: Megan, you're very welcome to fair game. Megan, you first picked up a hockey stick at the age of 11 in secondary school in Derry. How did you go from that to become captain of your country's national team?
3: It's fairly easy, really. <laughs> now, um, a lot of travel to start with. Um, I, when I started playing hockey, I actually played goalkeeper for about a year, year and a half. Um, and it came to me telling my coach, I'm quitting hockey unless I can play outfield because goalkeeper wasn't really doing it for me. How was that by um, choice Well, that? the year above needed a goalkeeper, and I already played soccer, so I was like, "Oh, I'll have a go." And maybe they expected me to be better than I better than I was expected to be, because just because I could kick a soccer ball, I could kick hockey ball, and um, so. But then, yeah, I uh, I got out outfield eventually. Um. So from there, I just played for my school. And the the regional development teams and that sort of thing, talent ideas are growing up. And then I had an Ulster trial when I was fourteen or fifteen. Didn't get selected. Had another one the next year, and then did get selected. And from then, I've just been able to, to make the teams going up through um, inter-provincial, and then they lead to Irish trials. Uh, so I just hit the hit the milestones going up under sixteen, under eighteen some under 21, and yeah, I made the senior team then. When I was about 17 or 18, so yeah, it's been... Thinking back, it's been a long road now. <laughs> yeah, big time. And um,
2: tell us a bit about what it's like to be captain of a national team. Is it all, like, is it all
3: in passion speeches and team huddles, or is there just a hell of a lot of admin that goes with the title as well? Um, I think I'm pretty lucky and, and that the people I have around me are all... Very willing and, and other good leaders around me I'm just kind of the face of the leadership group but I I feel like I have a role in demonstrating how we should be how we should be playing on the pitch and, and not that I remember how to do it anymore but um, in terms of just how you train and how you work in training and, and not shying away from any sort of hard training session or um, hard anything really just you have to take everything as it comes and, and showing that everyone else has to do that as well to, to get things along
1: and last August brought about a dream move to play professionally in the German Bundesliga with your club Mannheimer how did that move come about?
3: Um, it's actually it's been in the pipeline playing in Europe for a while but because I was doing my Masters in Jordanstein I had to complete the, the top part of that so I of Part to complete, but um, our previous coach had Darren Smith had actually coached the Mannheimer coach in in the past, and there was a connection there, and that's really how it started. Uh, Philip Starr the Mannheim coach, got in contact with me and brought me over for a visit, and it just went from there. It's a, it's a great club, great setup, so couldn't say no, you know. And that that kind of first. Visit where you sold straight away. we were like, right, this is this is yeah, the place for me. More or less, yeah. It's a it's a brilliant club. It's got four pitches, big team, uh, old changing rooms and stuff. They were having renovations done to create more changing rooms for everyone. And, and, and so. did that setup remind you of the setup in the University of Maryland when you were over there? Uh definitely. There's some similarities. Just the fact that it has you know its own area everyone is, is going for it, it's not sharing a pitch that a lot of sports have, a lot of hockey teams have to do, they share it with football, they share, you know, ground, um, so yeah, the the facility-wise, it's, it's definitely really good, and in terms of, like, you know, a clothing sponsor and everything like that, it's very professional over there, so there was definitely real power with Planet Maryland, yeah. And unfortunately, two months into your time with with Manhire, you suffered um, an injury in training that has had you sidelined since. And um, tell us what happened. Um, normal training session we do every every week. Just playing a game at the end of training, and I was running at a sprint and just made a pass off my right foot. Something that I've probably done a million times, and you actually do training sessions to practice this skill, and I. An unlucky step I suppose and just my foot stayed and my knee went the other way, it uh, went down like a ton of bricks, and yeah it was very painful, everyone thought I was joking from how I was rolling around on the ground but um, yeah it was pretty painful and it resulted I tore my ACL, MCL and meniscus so did a good job on it all together.
1: The bumps and bruises that, that come with hockey, you have been relatively injury free up until that point.
3: In terms of from the start of my career, I've been very lucky in that I've had minor injuries. The worst one was maybe last year when I took an elbow in the ribs and had bruised or fractured ribs, and, and I was out for four weeks. But besides that, I've been had nothing that's kept me out too long, and um, so it's been a real shock to the system. Having this, I've now been out for Four months, four months since the surgery and another three weeks before that since I last played. So yeah, it's been a real learning curve on how to kinda of manage yourself when you don't have that kinda of, one competition mentally and two just your training and, and kinda of how you how you go about your life in terms of like nutrition, gym, everything. It's it's shuffled shuffled a lot. It can be, I suppose,
2: when you're so involved in a squad. Um, kind of working through injury we have can be a very lonely existence and it's like the psychological fight back can be just as hard
3: as the physical one that, that you have to face How? what's been your approach to coping with that? Um, Just the determination to get back we have important tournaments coming up this year so I'm trying to kind of hammer on and, and make those as realistic as possible uh, but I was very lucky in that I got to go to the World league tournament that the Irish team played in in January so that was three weeks where I got to spend with the team but I was also in the gym for a couple hours a day with the physio but also getting to join in the team meetings and stuff and I think at some point that that was kind of a turning point in terms of really pushing my motivation and wanting to get back and even morale um, really helps because sometimes you can lose sight of What you're aiming for when you're there by yourself all the time, and you know, getting up early to go to the gym, and because it is rehab, you have to be quite diligent with it, and it's it takes hours, it takes hours to do things that you wouldn't think is important, like just glute strengthening is is taking me an hour, you know. Unusually, I'd be in and out of the gym in an hour and a half, having got a great session, full body, you know, feeling really knackered after it, and here I am spending an hour doing clams you know what I mean so it's it's quite a change and I think being with the girls in Malaysia definitely helped and and getting to join in come down to the training sessions and stuff definitely keeps me involved and and yeah, hopefully I can can just keep working through that and stay involved with the team and stay connected with everyone we, we
2: saw some um, on your on your Instagram that the rehab you were kind of doing while you were away in Malaysia with the team um, tell us through kind of some of the stuff there was one particularly interesting one with there involving some needles that we were yeah um,
3: I'm not 100 percent sure of the the science behind it but um, with an injury with, with a surgery when when they cut into your skin and cut in through your bones and stuff a lot of the neural fibers are disrupted so the stimulation of the muscle isn't happening as much which can result in lack of extension and, and That's what I'm struggling with at the minute. So uh, the point of this was our our physio put needles in right into the the deep end of the muscle and then had uh, two metal rods that I held in each hand and would stimulate uh, these needles, two needles at a time and it would cause a big contraction, big contraction in the muscle. So... Um, yeah, it was quite painful. I had about you know six needles in at a time, and just finding that stimulation, finding a path through all the needles to kind of get that contracting again. Yeah, it was interesting for me as well when I first heard about it. But um, yeah, I find it effective, and, and I haven't had to do it since. I've had other stimulation things, less less intense than that, but. I've had some interesting...
1: Your Instagram is, when you like, document stuff like that, it's, like, 50-50 whether or not I'm going to be like, oh, that looks going to be interesting, or, like, just grimacing. <laughs> like, that's... that's the, a
2: the, shock. the stitches immediately post-surgery were a bit of a story-turner as yeah, well. Yeah, there's that. But you're telling me that, <laughs> they, um,
3: just after the surgery, they have tubes in to drain the, the fluid out, and taking that out was... Worse than the, the injury, worse than the surgery, the taken out of the two tubes, about the the site that had been filled with the the waste inside the knee and oh, yeah, that was interesting. interesting. And were you doing kind of your surgery and a lot of your rehab over in Germany with your club?
2: Are you kind of I, are you fully supported by the club in that sense?
3: They they were very supportive. Yeah, they um, arranged the surgery. You know, I had an MRI almost the next day. I saw a knee surgeon who is quite highly regarded in Germany. You know, the Bundesliga football players would go to him and stuff. Um, so I was lucky to have him able to do the surgery. He He's only he's a knee specialist, so he's... Every day, he's knees for him. So um, And he's very... You know, the language is kind of important over there because, you know, it's German and I'm not fluent in German at the minute. So that was quite important for me, to have someone that could you know, explain everything really well and um, make me feel comfortable enough about it somewhere that, you know, I'm not familiar with. Um, So he performed the surgery and I did my first... I was in hospital over there for a few days and the club really, you know, pushed me to... I was in physio. I had surgery on Thursday. I was in physio on Monday. So in that regard yeah I got I got fully supported but I've been uh, lucky enough since I've came home to work with the physio that was with the men Steven Rio Steven he's very good clean our physio here and now as of last week working working in Sinai with the with the whole rehab situation I have up there you know they have a really good strength and conditioning gym physios are top class so I think hopefully that's going to really push me on and I'm going to see real developments getting to do that now. That sounds like an incredible setup and
1: I mean we know like so it's one of the things when you have an injury it's really difficult to follow the doctor's orders like to a t, right because you're like four to six weeks and everybody thinks that's four weeks day one like on the button right so like how has that been going for you do you have any specific targets in mind do you have any date set um or is it just a case of taking kind of each day as it comes and, and listening to what your your team are saying
3: uh, well, <clears throat> originally, you know, when you you Google things yourself, I my die and never running knows that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I've you know seen schedules of traditional ACL injuries that you know full extension, full flexion with four weeks running in three running in three months that sort of thing. And due to the nature of my injury, with it being it's not the straightforward ACL rupture; it was ACL second degree MCL and also meniscus tear as well. So milestones have been really difficult to decide on and also th- my recovery has unfortunately been a bit slower than expected so I don't know if I can say I'm behind because I never really could put down markers anyway because of the nature of it um, but it's, it's, been, it's been slow to kind of to see much improvement I'm still working on finding full extension at the minute which is, as I said, something you could have after four weeks on a on a traditional ACL, and without being able to fully have full extension, fully straighten your knee, you can't walk properly. Therefore, you definitely can't start running. So this has been frustrating working on this point for months and seeing very little improvement. So yeah, the plan now is to just keep hammering on, trying to find that and. Um, If it doesn't go to plan, just need to get another MRI and see if there's something going on in there that's holding me back. Um, So yeah, originally at the beginning I was under the impression, you know, four weeks this, 12 weeks that, and that's something I've had to kind of come to terms with. It isn't going to apply to me, at all very individual. And um, yeah, just... Trying to kind of hammer on as much as I can without getting too frustrated with the with the lack of movement of things. Yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's the kind of injury that, like
2: as you say, when it happened and you just fell like a pile of bricks to the ground. But you know, it's 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 going to be a long road back. And um, genuinely, I was genuinely devastated to see that it happened to you because we had only we went up last year to see the EYHL yeah. finals, yeah, and um, we were just watching in action on the pitch, and it's just. Like a tornado blitzing around, so um, I really hope to hope to see you back on, on, on the pitch as 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 soon as as possible for you. But maybe one thing: does any kind of other athletes out there listening to this who are going through a similar injury or kind of experience similar rehab? What kind of advice would you give to them?
3: I think don't get frustrated and stay and try and stay connected to your team as much as possible because they can really give you. Give you that bit of a lift when you need it, and you know. Whenever we were away, I hadn't actually you know talked too much to people about it, and you know had a really bad day and a, and a bit of a meltdown. And like, there people are like you know right behind you all the time. Like, just talk to us. It's not a big deal. Like, like cry if you want. Like, whatever. We're right behind you. We support you. And. Um, having I've had Lizzie Colvin do the same, had an ACL injury three years three years ago now, I think, and you know, she's been great like giving me little tips here and there. So I think that's really helped, but yeah, you know, I struggle myself not to get frustrated and I think that'll be the making or the breaking of my will or I can keep sticking to the plan, do as I'm told, not overdo it and and just keep plowing on without, without finding myself going in the wrong direction like having, getting a pizza because I can't be arsed to do physio or whatever you know it's really important trying to keep your goals in mind and, and just keep tracking along to, to get them even when you're not seeing any improvement it's just keep yourself motivated there's more to it than, than this week that you're in You know? Megan thanks again for taking the time to chat with us
1: Thanks. Enjoyed it. Massive thanks to both Jesse Barr and Megan Fraser for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us here in the studio and share their stories. You can follow them both on Twitter. Jesse is at jessiebarr247 and Megan can be found at mfraser15. That's M F or a Z-E-R-15.
2: Make sure you're following us on Twitter too at Fair Game Cast where we'll keep you up to speed with the where and whens of women's sporting fixtures in Ireland plus all the latest news and views from both at home and abroad.
1: Likewise, if you're out running or you're walking or you're hitting the gym and you need a soundtrack we've got you covered. Check out our archive for some motivational listening. All of our episodes to date are available on castaway.media forward slash fair game or can be searched and subscribed on all of your podcasting apps. That's it for this episode
2: and we'll talk to you again soon.